Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, how many of you keep any symbols around your house or anything with you that you keep that's a symbol of an important moment in your life or a significant accomplishment? How many of you have symbols that you keep around for that? Yeah, it's something we do on a regular basis. So for me, one of the symbols I keep around is I keep these. These are my finisher medals from some of my half marathons. Um, Jess was nice enough to put them in a, a box for me. Now they got a little messed up in transport today, but that's all right. Um, you get the picture. But I keep these because they represent to me all the hours of, of training and running and then getting to a place where I was able to finish these races. And so I keep them and they're, they're important to me. What about you? Is there any specific things that you do and that you keep to signify important moments or important accomplishments? So we use symbols and symbolic gestures all the time to convey significant things, meaningful things, important things in our lives. Uh, unfortunately, sorry, Phillies fans, the World Series was over and the Astros won. Uh, but that it concluded last night. But a couple years ago, 2016, the Cubs won the World Series for the first time in over 100 years. And my brother has been a lifelong Cubs fan. So he got a tattoo of the World Series trophy and the Cubs logo on his shoulder. Okay, this was a significant moment for him that he wanted to commemorate. And a lot of times tattoos are like that. People get tattoos to signify something important. You see that sometimes with military service or other things. But we also use stuff like jewelry. How many of you have jewelry that's really significant to you? Maybe it was passed down from a relative. Or maybe it was something someone gave you, like a locket or something that symbolizes a meaningful relationship. And it doesn't just have to be physical objects. Sometimes it's a ceremony of some kind that can commemorate this. Have you ever seen those awesome, inspiring videos of cancer patients ringing the bell that signifies the end of their treatment and being cancer-free? Those are remarkable moments, meaningful moments in that ceremony. Well, as part of the Christian faith, we have these type of things too. We have ceremonies. We have things that we sim use to symbolize important, meaningful moments in our journey towards faith. And one of them is baptism. Obviously, you knew what we were going to talk about this morning. It's right up there on the screen. Uh, so I was six when I got baptized. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday. I had told my parents, I want to be baptized. My church at that time did baptism outside in a creek. So there I was in shorts and a t-shirt in late October in an incredibly chilly day in an incredibly cold water being baptized. And I'm kind of glad that that was like that because it meant so much to me. It seared it into my brain, that cold water and that day. But baptism is really, really important in the life of a, and faith of a believer. But where does it come from? Why do we do this? Why do we do this thing that symbolizes our journey in faith? So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at why we do baptism. We're going to look at some of the aspects of it. And we're going to talk about reasons why you should be baptized. So to start out with, we're going to start out with a passage of scripture known as the Great Commission. 
Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start out there. Now, if you joined us last week, Pastor Doug did an awesome job of breaking down why this particular passage is so important. It was Jesus' last words to his disciples, his last opportunity before he went up into heaven to communicate important, meaningful things to them. So as a result, what he says here carries extra weight, special weight. So let's look at it. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is giving his disciples and giving the church its mission. And it includes, of course, it includes making disciples. And it includes teaching. Absolutely includes teaching. But did you realize that it also includes, includes baptizing? You realize that is one of the specific things that God asked the church to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is this baptism? What is this thing, and what is it that we are being asked to do as a church? Well, let's look at a typical baptism in the New Testament. What does a typical baptism look like? Let's, let's look at one of these stories. So let's go straight to Acts chapter 8. And what we see in this passage is we see Jesus has already ascended into heaven and his disciples have started spreading his gospel all throughout the local regions and doing a great job trying to spend, send the message of Jesus out. And so we're going to see one of these instances. So in verse 26 of chapter 8, it starts out this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way... He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So God sends Philip on this journey, and he tells him to go to the specific place. He has no idea what he's going to encounter when he gets there. So Philip arrives, and he encounters this Ethiopian official. Now, this is a really important guy. He was the, the, in charge of the entire treasury. And he happens to be sitting there looking at Philip. And so let's see what happens here. Get more info here. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So this Ethiopian had just been in Jerusalem. Had just gone there to worship. So the, the guy had some kind of knowledge of spiritual things, but he didn't exactly know what was going on, and he was uncertain. So Philip finds a guy. He shows up and finds a guy reading the scriptures. If that's not an invitation, I don't know what is. Okay, And he finds him reading the book of Isaiah. And God tells him, go up to the chariot. So it continues. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. 
Now, I love the Ethiopian's response here. How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? I think we've all been there. We all read a specific passage of scripture or we were new and we opened up the Bible to some random spot and we have no idea what we're reading. That has probably occurred to each one of us at some point. This is one of the reasons why we love to study the scriptures as part of a faith community so that we can help each other out in these areas. That's one of the reasons why it's so important. But he doesn't understand. How can I unless someone explains it to me? So then Philip gets invited up into the chariot to explain it to him. And it turns out he's reading a passage from Isaiah 53. And this is, passage is one of the most clear prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that talks directly about Jesus. And the official doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the prophecy. And let's face it, prophecy is hard to understand even when we know the end result of it. So it's not, an, it's not a shock that this guy didn't understand. So Philip gets to explain to him about Jesus. He gets to explain to him who Jesus was and how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And the man believes. So let's continue this passage. That, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look here, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So along the way, they see this body of water. And I love what the Ethiopian said here. He's like, what can prevent me from being baptized? What's going to hold me back? He's not asking, why should I do it? Do I have to? No, he's like, what can do it? What can stop me? What's holding me back? I get the picture of like a manager coming out to charge the umpire in baseball and then some player like holding him back. He's like, who's holding me back? Who's holding me back from being baptized? He's excited about it. He wants to do it. It's a big deal. So Philip baptizes him. So what do we learn from the elements of the Ethiopian's baptism story. We see him come to faith in Jesus. We see that baptism follows closely on the heels of his following Jesus. And we see a baptism ceremony that involves water. And we're gonna see this is a pattern that keeps reoccurring in scripture. So what is baptism and what is its purpose? Uh, in my first year in college, when I was at York College, I took a comparative religions class. It's one of those classes where you go through a variety of different religions and what they believe and all those type of things. Well, we get to the final, and some finals in college are just like another test. And some of them are like, here, anything for the entire year can be on this test. And this was one of those. And we knew there was going to be an essay at the end of this test. And you're always a little bit more concerned about the essay because you have to know a little bit more about that than just simply being able to answer A, B, C, or D. So you're always like, what is it going to be? What is going to be the essay question? So I get to this test. I go to the back page. I turn to the essay. What is it going to be? In Christianity, what is baptism? All right, I got this one. I got this one. I'm good. But that's the question. What is baptism and what is its purpose? So let's look at 
our brother in Christ manual of doctrine and government. Okay, this is what our group of churches believes about baptism. So let's see what it has to say. It says, The baptism of believers is a public witness that they have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and are becoming part of the community of faith. We believe that baptism by immersion symbolizes the believer's submission to Jesus Christ and the identification with his death and resurrection. So there's a lot in there. What are some of the elements? One, it's public. Other people are witnesses. Two, involves immersion in water. It follows a personal commitment to Jesus. It's a symbol of receiving Jesus, a symbol of becoming part of the faith community. Now, baptism in this case does not confer salvation. It symbolizes the salvation that we have received. Think of it a little bit like wedding rings. Okay? At the end of wedding ceremonies, you exchange rings, and they are symbols of that commitment, of that marriage. The symbol itself does not make one married or unmarried. In fact, I had a friend who in college uh, worked as a server and a hostess, and she used to have fake wedding rings that she would wear to work so that guys wouldn't hit on her. But just because she wore those rings didn't mean she was married. On the other end, I worked in a warehouse that forbid anybody from wearing any rings because of safety dangers. So the fact that you weren't wearing a wedding ring did not all of a sudden make you single. It's merely a symbol. Baptism is the same way. Now, for some of you, this may be a different picture of baptism than what you grew up with. It might be something very, very different. Certain other uh, faith communities have a different view of baptism. Catholics, Episcopals, Lutherans, some of, some of the other ones, they have a tendency to baptize infants. And it's because it means something a little bit different to them. In particular, in the Catholic Church, baptism itself conveys um, some forgiveness of sin, some, some salvation purposes. And it makes sense then, if that's the case, that you would want to baptize infants. But what, why do we believe what we believe about baptism? The reason why we believe what we believe about baptism is because of the pattern that we see in the New Testament. There's a pattern when we look at all the different instances of baptism that occurs. And the pattern looks like this. It's belief in Jesus, baptism, and a public celebration involving water. So let's look at a few instances real, real quick where we see this in the New Testament, where we see this pattern play out. Acts chapter 9, Saul believes and then is baptized. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and others in his house believed and then were baptized. Acts 16, Lydia and the jailer believed and then were baptized. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. We see this pattern. Someone believes, and then they are baptized. So this is why we believe what we believe about baptism. What we call believer's baptism is because what we see in Scripture is always belief first and then baptism. Now, this is not in any way to disparage anyone who was baptized as an infant or who had their kids baptized as an infant. We would not do that under any circumstances. You can be thankful that your parents showed that level of care that they wanted you to have faith in your life, that they wanted you to have spirituality, that they wanted the church to be a part 
of your experience. And many of you who were, that still carries a major significance in your life. And that's okay. We're not trying to antagonize you in any way about that whatsoever. I'm trying to illustrate why our church believes what we believe about baptism. So let's talk about that symbolism, that symbolism of baptism for a moment. What does it symbolize? Why are we doing this in water? What does the water symbolize when it comes to baptism? Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. It says this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now there's a lot of words in there. But basically what, what he's talking about is the act of baptism symbolizes when we go down into the water, it symbolizes the death, the death to our old life, the death to our old way of being. And when we come back up out of the water, it symbolizes that new life we have in Christ, that new pattern, that new behavior, the new person we have become as a result. So that's why the water, that's why the symbolism regarding baptism. So why should you be baptized? What, what should, what's in it for you? Why should you be baptized? What, what are we looking at here? What are the reasons for it? There's a number of compelling reasons, but we're going to look at three today. So the first reason comes to us from Matthew chapter 3. So let's look at this. This is at the very, very beginning of Jesus' public life. Let's look and see. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to, to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So like I said, this is right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Before Jesus did anything else, he went and was baptized. Before he started teaching before he did any miracles, before he picked his disciples, Jesus was baptized. Now, John initially objects, saying, "Um, Jesus, you know you're the Messiah, right? Like, I shouldn't be baptizing you. It should be the other way around. So John objects. What reasons does Jesus give as to why he should be baptized? He says, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm being baptized because it's the right thing to do. It's what God wanted. It identifies with us as humans. And it sets an example for us going forward. So Jesus humbly submitted to being baptized. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus thought enough about baptism to do it himself... If Jesus thought enough about baptism to include it in the mission of the church, how seriously should we as the church take baptism? How important should it be to us? Let me ask it another way, another tough question. Baptizing people is part of our mission as the church. If we don't get baptized... How can we baptize other people? Think about it. So reason number one, we should be baptized 
Because Jesus was baptized. Now, what's our second reason? What's reason number two? It's a public declaration. Go back to our manual of doctrine and covenant. The baptism of believers is a public witness that they have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, back to our wedding analogy. Why are there guests at a wedding? And no, it's not to just give the bride and groom presents. It's more than that. Why are there guests at a wedding? Even at a justice of the peace wedding, they're required witnesses. Why? There's something different about declaring your commitments publicly, isn't there? There's something different about it. It means a little bit more. It's one thing to say you commit to something yourself in your own head. It's a whole nother thing when you start sharing that commitment with other people. That's why we have witnesses to a wedding. Extra level of accountability. An extra level of commitment. Say, I care about this so much that I'm going to say it in front of other people. The same is true with our relationship with God. Baptism is a public declaration of your commitment to follow Jesus. It lets friends, family, your community know where you stand and what you believe. Now, for some of you, this public part, this public part is the issue. It's the problem. Some of you do not like the idea of being up in front of the public. Even if it's just a small gathering of fellow believers, you don't, you're not interested in it. You don't like the idea of being on public display, of having to share with other people, of being the center of attention. I get that. I totally get that. But that's why it's something you must do. In our faith journey, one of the things that God does is he stretches us. And he stretches us in ways that make us uncomfortable. Uh, author and pastor Erwin McManus tells this story in one of his books about a baptism. He said, after service one day, one of these guys came up to him and was interested in baptism. This was a large guy. He was huge. He was muscular. He was, apparently, they found out, he, he, this is out in L.A., so he wanted to be an actor, but he was also trying out for NFL teams, just to give you an idea. This was a huge guy. And he said, this conversation about baptism took a turn when the guy started talking about how much he was afraid of it. He's like, you're this huge guy. What are you afraid of baptism for? And he, as he's inquiring, he, he finds out that, see, this baptism was supposed to take place in the ocean. And this guy, when he was a kid, watched his friend get attacked by a shark in the ocean. And so for him, for years, he was carrying this fear of water, especially of the ocean. And it was preventing him from wanting to be baptized. Now, we can all kind of understand that. And so McManus said to him, it's like, well, we do have like a jacuzzi option or a pool option. And the guy started to relax a little bit. And he said, but you know what? For you, I think it needs to be the ocean. I think it needs to be the ocean. And he let him sit with that for a moment. See, God stretches us. It's how we grow. It's how we learn to trust him and not to trust ourselves. It's a necessary part of our life with Jesus. Many aspects of our faith are private, but our commitment to him isn't supposed to be one of them. That man came back a week later and was baptized in the ocean. And it was unbelievable, meaningful experience for him in a way that it never would have been had he, not, had he gone for the jacuzzi or the pool option. 
because he allowed himself to be stretched. There are times in each of our lives where we have to take a stand for what we believe. And one way to start that is to make that public declaration in front of a very friendly crowd at church with fellow believers in the act of baptism. So to recap, we should be baptized because Jesus was and because we need to make a public declaration of our faith. So what's the last reason? Reason number three, encourage and strengthen the body. You should be baptized because doing so encourages and strengthens the rest of the community. Now, oftentimes, we are inspired by other people's stories. How many of you have ever watched that show, The Biggest Loser? Someone comes up and they are struggling with their weight. And so they get involved in this program and they work on their diet, they work on their exercise, they work on their mindset. And you see over the course of the series how their life is transformed. And they get to the end and you see the side-by-side pictures and you see how much progress they made, how, how different they are. And it's inspiring. Even if you're not trying to lose weight, it's really inspiring. But we don't even get inspired just by regular people. We get inspired by fictional characters. I often found myself being inspired by the movie Secret Life of Walter Mitty about a guy who's not leading the life he knows he should and the steps he takes to live the life he always wanted. When we hear stories of someone's journey, it often inspires us on our own journey, doesn't it? And the same thing is true with our faith journey. When we hear someone talk about their journey, it reconnects us with our own story. It inspires us to learn and grow. Watching someone take a leap of faith encourages us to do the same thing. It breathes life into our church, and it gives us an awesome reason to celebrate. Now, there may be some of you here who say, you know what, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've never been baptized. I might have missed the window. I might have missed the boat. I don't know if I'd want to do it now. It's been so long. It would be weird to do it now. This reason right here is why you shouldn't think that way. Somebody out there needs to hear your journey, needs to hear your story. No matter how long it's taken you to get to this point, someone out there will benefit from hearing it. You should be baptized because it will encourage and engage the body of believers. So what does baptism actually look like at Crossroads? If you sign up for baptism, what are you getting involved in? What are you getting involved in? Well, the first thing you can do, if you're interested, on the back of your connection card, there's a place to check off that you're interested in baptism. Once you do that, someone will be in contact with you. And the first thing we'll have you do is we'll work on your story. We'll send you some resources and we'll help you craft your story to write down what your specific journey is and what that looks like. And we'll help you get it to a place where you're comfortable with it. At that point, there's one of two options. We can record a video for you ahead of time so that you don't have to worry about a day of baptism. Or if you'd rather, that day, that morning of baptism, you get to share that story in person. So the first thing we do is we craft that story. Then we get to the day of baptism, when it actually comes to the baptism ceremony. We plan ahead and we schedule a date that works for you. We usually try to get a couple baptisms at the same time. And then we set up a tank right over here. And we heat the water up for you so it's not too cold. You don't have to experience what I did out in the creek. All right, we'll heat the water for you. We'll reserve some spaces right up front here for your friends and family so that they get the number one seat. 
At that point, we go through the ceremony. Someone asks you about your faith in Jesus, and then we dunk you in the water three times forward and pray for you. Take a look at what this looks like from last year's baptism. So that's a little clip about what baptism actually looks like if you decide to gauge in baptism at our church. We want to take that little bit of fear element away from you. This is what you would experience if you do it at Crossroads. So to recap, you now know what baptism is. You know the reasons why you should be baptized. Because Jesus was. Because you need to make a public statement. And because it encourages and strengthens the church. And we know what it looks like to be baptized here at Crossroads. So to close out, I'm going to leave you with this particular sentence. And it's the question that the Ethiopian asked to Philip. What can stand in the way of you being baptized? If you're interested, check off that card on the back of your connection card. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. God, we thank you for the work you have done, for the opportunity that you have given us to be saved, to connect with you, to follow you. And God, we thank you that you have given us a powerful symbol that helps us understand and commemorate and commit to that relationship in baptism. And we thank you for that, God. I know some of us have been baptized and we remember those moments fondly. And there's some out there who still do need to be baptized. So God, we ask that you just encourage everyone in here who hasn't to consider it, to consider what it can do, not only for them and their faith, but for the rest of the body in the church as well. And God, we humbly ask you to continue to be with us and to continue to be with us in that journey so that we as a faith community can come alongside of each other to be those witnesses and be that accountability to help continue to help each of us grow in our relationship with you. So we thank you for baptism and for what it means in our lives. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.